I have learned so much that I hope to be able to share with you over the next coming weeks and months, and, and trust me, and even years, because this degree is two years long. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted to point out today, before we get into our topic, is that how many of you have ever gotten to the end of Mark, and this is a teaser, by the way, I'm not going to talk about this today, I'm teasing you because I want you to come back. How many of you have ever gotten to the, the, the verse 8 in Mark 16, and then you read that little thing there in between verse 8 and 9 that says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. Anybody else? How many of you go, oh, well, I might as well not even read that then. It wasn't in the early manuscripts. One of the things I'm going to show you is, first of all, that statement's not true. Second of all, when you see with fresh eyes what Mark really did here, you'll realize that this, these last 12 verses are so intentional that without them, the book isn't complete. And I'm going to share that at a later date. <laughs> Just to say. So today, your young people are going to learn about the Holy Spirit beginning uh, with the Trinity. And today, you and I are going to jump into that same book. And, and by the way, I wanted to say this. This was something on my heart way before I found out that the children's ministry was going to do the same thing which I feel like is a God thing. And then when I got into the, the training for this module, as they call it, or semester, some might call it, and I discovered that it's all about the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, I'm like, are you kidding me? How perfect is this? So I know God's got a sense of humor, but he also is guiding us. And I, I say this every week. He has a plan and a purpose for us. And if we listen... If we really engage with him, we will understand what that plan is, what he's trying to do with you and with me. And I'm telling you what, God is going to do the miraculous in this church. We are not done. Until, until these shoes are still here and I'm not, we are not done. I'm talking about the rapture there, by the way, if you didn't figure that out. He has something for us to do. This, this generation, I believe, is going to see amazing things happen. And, and it, when we look at, and I don't mean to, I've been stuck in a room all week with these words, eschatology. You can look that up. But talking about Jesus is coming back. But before he came back, he had a plan. The Father had a plan. And what did Jesus say? He said, only the Father knows the day or the time when, when he's going to say, all right, Jesus, go back, get them, get the church, bring them up. Only the Father knows. So, and the reason I share that is just to say, as we talk about the Trinity, they are three persons, one God. And, and I actually did this in the title, Understanding the Trinity, in parentheses, as much as is possible, but I stuck above it an attempt to understand the Trinity. Why? 
I mean, I'm getting all this schooling. I should know what the Trinity is all about. Well, let me tell you something. I've been reading commentaries. I've been reading all these different scholarly journals. Nobody has a handle on this topic. Nobody gets it, all right? If somebody says, yeah, I get it, you better run from them because... I conclude the, the message with this. I'm going to start with it t- as well. If you can figure God out, he's probably not God. And as I look at this idea of the Trinity, I've just got to back up and go, hmm. So we're going to give it our best shot today. But I wanted to start out with, and this might surprise you, it might not, because I, I take all kinds of rabbit trails, but I felt like this was an important one. There are four key doctrines, four pillars of the faith on our Assemblies of God website, and, and they're the core doctrines that teach the following. Jesus is Savior. Say that with me. Jesus is Savior. Second, Jesus is Healer. All right. Third, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, Jesus is the soon-coming king. All right. Those are the four pillars of the faith, if you will, or the fourfold gospel. But I want you to understand, and this is something that was driven into us this week, as important as the Holy Spirit is, and, and as you go through the book of Acts, and I'm going to get into some stuff that's going to rock your world with that in a week or two. Today, though, I want you to understand who is the capstone. You don't sound convinced. You're right. Jesus is the capstone. He is the foundation Everything that we read in this good book has something to do with him. Because without him, where would you and I be? And as I look at the scriptures, though I see Jesus in the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, all the way through to Revelation, and then, of course, what is to come, as I see him portrayed there, It's interesting to just stop in the middle and say, all right, let's look at the cross for a minute because that really is the pivotal moment for you and me. When Jesus died on the cross, when he allowed those soldiers to hang him on that cross and he gave every last breath, every drop of blood, that day was significant for you and me in that Jesus took our sins upon him. Every one of them. Past, present, future. And he emptied himself right there for you and me. If that hadn't happened, you and I would be here today for no reason. And not only did he give his last breath, but three days later, the Holy Spirit raised him out of the grave breathed life into him again. And when he came out of that grave, what happened next? 
He met with his disciples for a season. And then he, he told them something. He said, now I want you to wait. I want you to go into the upper room and you just wait. You hang on. Don't do any kind of ministry stuff yet. Because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to do what? He's going to empower you for acts of service. Without him, you are going to be easily defeated. But with him, you can do all things. And then he ascended. And the Bible says that he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. So here's Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. And then he said, I will send. And the Bible also says the Father will send the Holy Spirit. As our counselor, our strength, our guide. When you need to speak, he'll fill your mouth. As you're studying scriptures, he'll bring things back to your remembrance. He'll, he'll help you to understand what you're reading. That's why we need him. And we'll get into this much more as we move on. But I wanted to start out with this. Craig Keener, it's an amazing, uh, he, this guy's amazing. Craig Keener in his book, Gift and Giver, and he also wrote a bunch of commentaries uh, obviously, he's spirit-filled. But the apostle, John, claims that the same word of God we confront in the scriptures has stepped into human history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So if you have your Bible, turn to John. And again, John kind of portrays Jesus as all of a sudden he's just, he's there. In all of his humanity. But he shows us something here. Not only is... He got in the flesh, but, but watch what he does here. And, and I'm going here intentionally. It, it, this part of my message is only referring or showing us, well, that's not true. He's actually showing us all three, spirit, father, son. But most of this has to do with the father and the son. So you ready for this? I'm going to put it up behind me if, if you don't have your word with you. John 1, 1 through 14, the TNIV, and John begins with this, in the beginning, everybody say that with me, in the beginning was what? The Word. What is the Word? The Word. The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Catch that. The Word was with God, and the Word was was God. All right, and again, do I understand this in its entirety? Uh -uh. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And just as a jump scripture, as a, as a, as a context scripture, the Apostle Paul taught the same thing in uh, Colossians 1.16, and I've got that up behind me. For in him all things, and that him is Jesus, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How important is this Son of God? 
when you think about it, and, and when we realize that, if, as I understand it, if our planet were to move out of its orbit, even a couple of hundred miles either way, we would either freeze or burn up. Jesus holds all this together. It's not coincidence that this is one of the only livable planets that we've discovered so far. I'm not going to say there aren't any others out there. I, I'm not God. But as far as we know, this is it. Though we keep trying to find others. This solar system would not function as it does were it not for God's power and his strength and, and his wisdom. I think that's pretty cool. Jumping into verse 4. In him was life, again talking about Jesus, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. You guys remember him? John the Baptist, all right? He, he was the forerunner to Jesus. And I don't have time to go back there, but when his mother was pregnant with him, with John the Baptist, the Bible says the Holy Spirit anointed him while he was still in her womb. And she had one of those Holy Ghost moments. And she, yeah, she started praising Jesus right there. Praising God right there, even though I don't think they really understood what that was. He came, John came, as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. So again, we see God setting this up, this beautiful picture. I'm sending my son... To minister to you, my people. And I want you to know he's coming. It was prophesied thousands of years before. He was the fulfillment of that messianic promise that a Savior was coming. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the beauty of the scriptures is that there's nothing here by chance it all leads to it. If you could picture one of those great big neon arrows, it's all pointing to this. The culmination in His Son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That is His promise to us. Hallelujah. We should be able to get excited about that. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And of course, this is talking about the very ones who he came for. The Jewish people knew that God was going to send a Savior, but the Savior didn't line up with their preconceived ideas of what they thought He'd look like. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a king who would come storming in with an, an army of angels and would take over the planet. Well, that day's coming. 
He is going to do that, but it wasn't here. That wasn't God's plan. Instead, he sent him humbly as a, as a little infant. He plants this little guy in, a, in what some feel could have been a cave or, or some kind of a stable. It, that part doesn't matter. The point is, and I, I've made this before, that Jesus was accessible to everyone. You see, the gospel is accessible to everyone. God wants all to be saved. All men and women, boys and girls, he wants everyone to know him as their personal Savior and Lord. And that's why he came in this fashion, because if he'd come as some ruler, it would have been hard to get to him. He might not have been as accessible. But as the son of a carpenter, he was very accessible. Anyone could go to him. And that's how God wanted it. God is no respecter of any person. Just because you're in high authority means nothing to him. When we're all lined up in front of him, when that day comes and we're all standing at the judgment seat where the church is being judged, there isn't a person in this room where he's going to go, Ooh, you are so awesome. He's going to say one of two things. Well, here he's only going to say one thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. At the white throne judgment, we're going to hear something else. <laughs> you don't want to hear that part. Keep going. So much. Did I finish that? I think I did. Yet to, ha yet to Hall, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, ah, he gave the right to become children of God. Poke your neighbor and say, are you a child of God? Come on. I hope you can all say yes. I hope you have all put your trust in him. I am so excited about what's coming, but step one is you got to be introduced to the master. You got to know him personally as your savior and Lord. And when you say yes to Jesus, <laughs> everything else starts to make sense. Maybe not the Trinity, but everything else. <laughs> now we'll get there. You begin to realize that God did have a plan for me. He does have a plan for me. And when you figure out what that is, satisfaction, a full life, all that stuff that Jesus promised, it's yours. But it only comes when you figure out what is it he wants to do with me as one of his children. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You must be born of God. You must be born again, John 3, 3 and 3, 5. You must in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 14, kind of the capstone here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who is this talking about? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus, our Messiah. 
We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Keener went on to say, because the Father, Son, and Spirit are one in nature, though distinct in their person and in their role, what we learn about the character of one member of the Trinity applies to all three. This is so important because if you get to know one, then you get to know all of them. He goes on to say, just as we cannot have a relationship with the Father except through the Son, and I've got this up behind me here, no one who denies the Father, the Son, sorry, has the Father, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's what he's talking about here. So just as we cannot have a relationship with the Father except through the Son, we cannot have a relationship with the Son except through the Spirit. And here are a couple of contexts of that. He will glorify me, Jesus said, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Here he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 9, and 10, Paul says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature by the flesh but are in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ they do not belong to Christ pretty clear maybe (laughs) or vice versa the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him But you know him, for he lives with you, and future tense will be in you. Now, of course, he's talking about after the resurrection. The Spirit couldn't live in us until Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and me to be called children of the King. We had to be blood-bought, born again. But once you are, this takes place. The Spirit is in you. The morning that the morning the day that you're born again the holy spirit takes up residence in you now this should excite you and then make you a little nervous there's a reason in the old testament it it uses the word fear god it isn't like god is up there with some giant club just waiting to just demolish you Hey, let me see if I can put this one over that next fence, over that next mountain. No. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a respect for who he is, understanding enough of his character to know that when I do certain things, they disappoint him. They displease him. You could even go so far as to grieve the Holy Spirit, and the Scripture uses the word blasphemy, which is simply denying that the supernatural acts of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, that they are not that. Trying to attribute them to someone else, like Beelzebub. When the religious people did this, Jesus was furious about this. And he simply said, you guys have crossed the line here. And there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and that's what it is. 
Don't do that. Don't be that person. When you see a miracle, attribute it to who it should be attributed to. God. God did that. Don't you try to take the glory and don't try to give it to the devil. And when people say, oh, yeah, that brother over there speaking in tongues, he's filled with the devil. Whatever, man. You better be careful. That's all I can say because it is so clear that speaking in tongues is from God. It's one of the evidences that we see over and again, and I'm going to get into this deeper as we move along, but listen to me. You are not filled with a demon if you're speaking in tongues. That's ridiculous. And as I said, we will get into that much deeper. I'm going to finish up this thought. I'm still working on uh, Craig Keener. He said, thus, whatever we learn about our relationship with the Father or the Son also applies to our relationship with the Spirit through whom we experience the presence of the Son and the Father. Now, again, do I get this? Not really. Other than to know their essence, their essence is in each one. If God the Father loves you and me, the Holy Spirit loves you and me. Jesus loves you and me. If there's integrity in Jesus, then there's integrity in the Father and in the Spirit. And any other number of things that you could look up or try to ascribe to them. Hopefully you can see how the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. Whatever attribute or character trait you find in the one, you will certainly find in the others. And, and again, when we look at the idea of God's love, and to me this is something that you could spend months on. What does God require of us to receive his love? nothing what do we deserve and yet he chooses to embellish us with his love unconditionally though we deserve judgment though we deserve Gehenna hell he chooses to send his son, Jesus, to take our place. And then, after all that's taken care of, and sin is under the cross, under the blood, if you will, then he sends us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, a person. Now, some of the translations go into, they actually call him it, and I think the King James is, is pretty good at this. But what it can do is it can demean, it can, also, it can almost make it sound like the Holy Spirit is down here because he's an it. But it shouldn't be that way, all right? All three are at the same level. Father, Son, and Spirit. They all share their glory with each other. They all love each other. They're, they're humble like that. 
one of my favorite places where you really see this. I'm, I got to back up here. I'm sorry. The idea that there is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I found this online, but there is exactly one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Are you getting this? John 14, 9, the latter part says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he was actually having a conversation with Philip, but he, he, look at what he said here. He says, how can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus, in his mind, in his thinking, he's, he's saying to Philip, look, I'm standing right in front of you, and if you see me, you see God. Do I get it? No. I don't understand this probably any better than you do. And if you do understand this better than me, pull me aside when we're done here. I might have you teach next Sunday. But this is just one of those areas where God said it, and I'm just taking it at face value because if it's in the Word, it's got to be true. And eventually, his followers did understand this, even though Philip questions it here, at least enough to believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the coming king, and that he was going to die for their sins. And after they saw him risen from the dead. <laughs> Before that, not so much. But after, when that stone had been rolled away, when they realized his body wasn't there, then they got excited. Everything he said to us, and the Holy Spirit brought it back to their remembrance. Everything he said to us was true. Now they believed because they saw the evidence. And then Jesus came back and he spoke to some 500 of his followers that witnessed the living, risen Christ, the Son of God. And that's when they ran around the globe telling people about him. But not before. All this had to happen for this to take place. Now, if I could just back up to when Jesus first began his ministry. And what I want to show you here is in all four of the Gospels, it talks about how Jesus was baptized in water. All right? Let's start with Luke 3, 21 and 22. And again, I've got it behind me. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and you, uh, with you I am well pleased. So, what parts of the Godhead do we see here? All three, Right? Jesus is in the water. The dove comes down, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and lands on him. And then, of course, the Father says with his loud, booming voice, This is my son! Or however he sounded. I don't, he could have sounded like, This is my son! But I doubt it. I think it was more booming than that. Now I want you to see something here. In Matthew, he describes the same thing. And by the way, this is in all four Gospels, as I've already said. I put the other two addresses down below. 
Matthew 3, 16 and 17, and it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you notice any difference between this one and Luke? It didn't dawn on me until my professor told me this, that in the original language, he actually was out of the water, and you can almost picture him drying off with a towel before the Holy Spirit comes and lights on him. Why does that matter? What is baptism for? A sign of what? A sign of cleansing. Water is a purifying agent. The Holy Spirit is related to water in some of the different places as a, clear, a, clear, a purifying agent. Did Jesus need to be cleansed? No. He was already pure. Why then did he need to be baptized? As a sign to us. Of what? Receiving the Holy Spirit. You and I need to first be baptized in water. But then we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What happened next? After, If you look at any one of these places, but specifically here, what happened is that Jesus was tempted. He was taken into the desert for 40 days where he prayed and he fasted and he struggled against the flesh where the devil tried to tempt him to give up his crown, to give up his kingdom. If you will do this, I will give you this. How many times do we hear that? Oh, you will be so satisfied if you do this sin. And then you do it, and then what happens? Are you satisfied? No, you want more and more. And Jesus knew that. But how did Jesus respond to the devil? It is written, man does not live on bread alone. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though he was God, he set that power, if you will, on a shelf when he became a man. In Jesus' case, the purpose for the Holy Spirit for him was the same as for us. He came to empower us for works of service. Jesus was all man, though all God. He did not operate in the power of heaven while in the flesh. He left that part of the Godhead behind. And, and my uh, key text here is Philippians 2.7. Rather, he made himself nothing. And I, I put in there what the NASB says. He emptied himself. is the same word for what you see in that first part. So rather, he made himself nothing or he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus wanted to show us, I want to show you how to live victoriously. But you need the Holy Spirit to do that. He was our example. Though he was all God, 
There were certain parts he left aside so that you and I would understand that once we become born again, we need the same thing. If you think you can get through this life victoriously without the Holy Spirit, Jesus needed the Holy Spirit? Surely, surely, surely we do. How many can say amen? amen? One of the biggest reasons that we need the Holy Spirit is because Jesus said he will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our purpose, yours and mine, is to share what God has done in us and through us with others so that they can see the witness of the Holy Spirit in us, that they can see that God has certainly called us His own. We are His children. And most of all, that they can see that His love that should be evident in us. Acts 1.8, I, I put that up just as a... And I'll get into this more. I just wanted to point that out this week. The way you see the Father respond is also the way that the Spirit will respond. The way you see Jesus speak is the same way that you will see the Holy Spirit speak. They are one and the same, but three separate persons. If you want to understand who God is or how He is, you have got to get in the Bible. I can't, I can't express this strong enough today. If you are not a student of the Bible, and listen, I don't want to hear any, any excuses. None. I don't care if you're on break. Pop that little iPhone out and open up that little Bible app. You should have a regular time of studying God's Word where you get the Word into your heart. And if you're not doing that, what are you doing? You want to know who God is, how he functions, all about his character? Crack open the, the pages of that Bible or open up your electronic version and get yourself in there. Start with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then proceed through Acts and, of course, the epistles. But if you're not doing that, you're never going to know who he is. And when he speaks to you, you're, you're just going to be going, huh, wonder what that was. When if you've got the word in you, you're going to know who it was. My sheep, Jesus said, know my voice. <laughs> you still with me? Hallelujah. I want to read another quote from Keener, and he said this as I begin, get close to the end. To recognize God's voice, we should begin by knowing as best as possible God's character as he has revealed it already. That is, before we listen for what God might say, we should heed what he has already said. I go back to John 1. Who spoke? Jesus, the Word, the Logos. Hallelujah. 
Listening to the Spirit means listening to the God of the Bible, the God of the cross, end quote. He was there at the beginning, and he continues to be involved with us from the time of our new birth as believers in Christ. He never takes credit for anything. He only brings glory to God. He is not an it. <laughs> I'm referring to the Holy Spirit here. He is a person most often referred to in the male gender. Now there is one place where he is actually identified as a she, but I don't get that. So, After his resurrection, just before Jesus left the planet when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, Jesus told his disciples this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Nothing about the Godhead is easy to figure out. I already said this. If it was, then he probably wouldn't be God. We can spend a lifetime getting to know him, and I think that's his plan. That's what he wants us to do. Become students. What do children do? Jesus said, you must become like little children in order to enter into heaven. What do your kids do? Don't they watch you like a hawk? Don't they emulate you? Whatever you do and shouldn't do, they emulate. When your little son or daughter is in school and they say that, four-letter cuss word because they heard it from somebody and the teacher calls and says ah we might have a problem here and you're like gee I wonder where she heard that from my wife was guilty of this and Barb if you're watching at home sorry there's a 30 second lag so she won't get that for half a second her dad when she was growing up always said she would say, Dad, what do you do at General Motors? And he would say, I'm a, just a peon. <laughs> just a peon. So she went into her school, and when the day came, they were all talking about career day and what your dad or mom did, and guess what her dad did? Why, he's a peon for General Motors. Of course, Barb's mom got a call. Mrs. Jennings, uh, I think we got an issue here. Barb just went by what her dad kept telling her over and over and over. Was it true? It probably was, but that wasn't his real title. You know, he was skilled trades. Whatever your children see, they emulate. And hear this, when you have a relationship with God your loving Heavenly Father, through Jesus the Son. If you emulate them, you'll never go wrong because His love is going to be so obvious. And I'm talking about that agape love, that, that love that's unconditional as we should have for everyone that we come in contact with, including our enemies or, as Jesus said, especially your enemies. Pray for them. 
I want to look like God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want their character, their attributes in me. And that's possible if we study the word and we do what Jesus commanded. Isn't that what he said here? The next part of this verse actually says that. Teaching them all the things that I have commanded you to obey. Would you stand with me? Another book by Keith Warrington. This one was called Pentecostal Theology, and and he said this about how we view the Trinity. He said, basically, the Father, Son, and Spirit are each identified as equally God, though none of them are completely God without the others. Each functioning separately, though in unity and harmony with each other, and being worthy of worship, all three. My feeling is, it's okay to say I don't necessarily get this. But the bottom line is this, God wants a relationship with you. It started with the Father who sent the Son. And from there, as we put our reliance on what Jesus did for us. We become adopted into God's family through the blood of Jesus. And there, Jesus said, now, once you've taken that step of faith, now I'm going to fill you, baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit in you, what that means is God lives in you. So there are some responsibilities with this. The big one being we're supposed to be holy. That's what Paul wrestled with. All of his epistles talk about that. Being justified by faith, redeemed, but justified by faith. He wanted us to know that You need Jesus. And you can't do anything without him. But with him, what? We can do all things. There's so much to this. For me to unpack it in 45 minutes is impossible. But I hope I'm at least whetting your appetite a little bit to develop this a little further in your own lives. We should all be students of the word, not just because we're called to be a pastor or a teacher, but because we love God enough, we want to know him. He's given us the venue. Number one, right here. Then the Holy Spirit will speak to you, and he does. But it it will line up with this. It will. They never contradict each other so important to understand so how are we going to end today I don't have a clue would you pray this with me if you're able to would you lift your hands 
Father God, in Jesus' name, I invite you, the Holy Spirit, to take up residence in me. Help me, Lord, if there's any unbelief in me. Help me to know you, your character, what you're all about. Give me a glimpse of your love. What it means for me to share that love with others. As you shared it with me, I pray today that I would learn how to share it with others. Because I think that's the idea here. And Holy Spirit, help me not to grieve you, but to live a holy and pure life as much as I can. And when I blow it, which I probably will, that I always remember to put it at the cross and to repent and not to make that a lifestyle. So now today, Use me as a witness. Fill me with your spirit. Baptize me if I'm not. With the evidence of tongues, I pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul's words, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. With that, God bless you. Be safe out there. Have a great week in Jesus. And enjoy the Super Bowl if you're one of those.